Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Warning. 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 Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the second episode of Gold Mines with Claudia Gold. What a week! Oh my god. Seriously, stuff is crazy right now. We are debuting our kids' brand, Claw Mini, at the store this coming week. On Saturday, September 29th, come through fam. New York City, corner of Ludlow and Delancey. We'll be there. We got an ice cream truck. We got a slushy machine. We got spray paint chalk, whatever that is. Going to do some damage. And there's also a fundraiser down the block for the new design high school where... A bunch of graffiti artists painted the roof on one of them. Thank you for including me. And we're trying to get some money for the kids to get arts education. So hit up Claw Mini and then hit up the New Design High School and you will never have to be nice to a child again. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Anyway, we're back into the full swing of fall in New York City. Weather's starting to change. The feeling of summertime forgetfulness is slowly unfurling off us. And now it's time to get serious. Time is flying by. Every moment is precious. But is it? Is every moment precious? Does every moment need a photo to document it? It takes a special person to know when those moments are important and worth preserving in a photograph. I don't have that skill, but our guest today does. Jeanette Beckman, who was there, she had the foresight to know what was important. She really understood that this was a magical time and that she needed to be there to preserve it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. How are you on this crispy September morning? Just fine. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) It is cold and rainy today. It's been very warm. It's very British. It's a very, very British day. For people who don't know who Jeanette Beckman is, in my my humble opinion, Jeanette has taken every seminal punk rock photo from the early days in London. That, not being enough, decided to move to New York City and then take every seminal early hip-hop photo, the most iconic photos that bring you right into the culture— Google Jeanette Beckman photos and you will be blown away. She also has authored a bunch of books worth checking out for sure, has a new book coming out. But let's talk about your early life in London. Are you from London proper? I am. a born and bred in London. And what made you want to go into photography? You know what? I really love portraits. I've always loved portraits. I wanted to be a portrait painter like David Hockney. I really always loved David Hockney. So do you still paint? Actually, I do dabble with watercolors, hmm. just, you know, privately. I'm not very good. But I, was, I never thought I was good enough, so I switched in art school from, you know, painting to go to photography school, and uh, that was it. I just kind of fell in love with it. And back in those days, it was very expensive, right, developing all that film. It wasn't like a, a, a light little hobby or, you know. Uh, that's a very interesting point because— You know, back in the day, every shot you took had a price ticket on it because every roll of film cost X amount of dollars here, pounds in England. And, um, you know, then you'd have to develop the film and then you'd make the prints and it all cost money. So were you counting in your head like this is shot 10? I, I have got to get this shot on this roll? Well, when I started working for the music press, which was about 1976, I would say, you know, I didn't, I'd never photographed musicians before. And, you know, now people go to concerts and take, you know, hundreds of pictures at a concert. We would take maybe one or two rolls of film because we knew that, you know, the roll of film costs whatever, $5 each. Then the prints cost, you know, another 5 or $6. And maybe you were getting $30 for the whole photo shoot. So, yes, you were kind of being careful, but That was the way you grew up, and it was really good because it made you aware of what you were shooting, and you were kind of editing as you went along rather than just shooting everything and then hoping you got something. So what what would you do if you didn't get anything? If you're, you know, you were double exposed or you, you know, it was out of focus, what would you do then? Uh, Well... (laughs) Fired. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. No, you always got something. I mean, you always got something. It was always good. I mean, it was just a question of wrangling the punks and, you know, getting them to pose. Like Melody Maker, which is a was a weekly newspaper, which I worked for. Does it not exist anymore? I don't think it does, actually. Um, But it was a lot of fun. I was the second string photographer. They had a chief photographer, this guy, Tommy Sheehan, who was a very cool guy. But he loved rock. 
And I loved all the new things that were coming out, which, you know, punk. And then, you know, I loved all the R&B stuff and, you know, two-tone and mods and all of that. So that was perfect for me. I got to do all the things he didn't like, which was great. So during that time, when you were sort of concentrating on, on early punk rock, were you in the scene? You know, I just love music and I lo- always loved street style and the way, you know, the way kids looked was really, I'd been shooting that for a while, you know, just people on the street. And it was amazing because, you know, punk suddenly happened in London. I was right there near one of the, my little studio, well, dark room, it wasn't really a studio, was right there near one of the biggest punk clubs, you know. So you'd see, you know, these really exotic people with massive mohawks suddenly walking around and people look really different and I loved that. So, yeah, I was always, you know, I was really into it, the whole the whole culture, really. Well, being from London proper and being sort of in in that early 20s, where did all this rebellion come from? Well, that was the thing. That was the other thing that I loved was the rebellious aspect of it. Because when you grow up in London, there's a class system, whether they think there is or not. Absolutely. You know, there's the upper class, the middle class. I was a middle class kid. And then the working class. And... You know, the upper class always held the reins, and it had been like that for thousands of years, you know, Henry VIII and all of that stuff. So this was the, you know, working class kids and art school kids rebelling and going, fuck this, we don't want to do this anymore, we want our say. And, you know, when Johnny Rotten sang No Future, he was right. There was no future. You know, the country was broke. Thatcher was in. All the social services were going down. And these kids were rebelling. I mean, very much like when I came here for hip-hop. When you came to New York, what were your original thoughts? Were you like, I have to go figure out this hip-hop thing? Mm, What happened was I was working for Melody Maker, and the first ever hip-hop tour came to Europe. We'd never seen hip-hop. We didn't know what it was. It was 1982, the fall. And, you know, I put up my hand in the meeting and said I wanted to go and photograph it because I was curious. Knew, You know, I'd heard a little bit about it. And I went to the hotel where these guys were all staying. Who was it? Oh, God. It was so crazy. Bear in mind, I did not know who any of these people were. And I was just, when I went down there, I just started shooting everybody because they looked so amazing. And that afternoon, I got pictures of Africa Bambata, the Rocksteady Crew, Double Dutch Girls, uh, Futura, Dondi, Ramelzy, Fab Five, Freddy. Wow. I mean, uh, DST, all just hanging out. And I had no idea who they were, but I was just kind of drawn to them, really drawn to them. And then that evening, I went to the show and all of them were on stage at the same time. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've seen ever. And I, I just, bet. you know, I just happened to be coming to visit a friend in New York that Christmas, just, you know, to hang out and everything was, ha- you know, I got off the train from JFK and, you know, there's some kid with a boom box and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. The train's all covered in graffiti. And I was like, this is a place I want to stay. So you decided I'm, I'm going to move to New York, no job prospects, no, and, but you wanted to sort of explore this very New York culture? I wanted to explore the culture and um, my friend coincidentally had an empty space right 
actually up the street from where we are now on Franklin Street. And she's like, oh, you could just hang out here for a bit. And I just ended up hanging out. It wasn't really a specific decision. It was just a kind of ah, go with the flow type thing. And so, you know, then the British magazines knew I was here and they started calling me going, hey, you know, there's this group called Run DMC. You know, here's the phone number. And, you know, it turned out to be Jam Master J's mom's house and call up and they'd be like, Jay, come out, go on the train, you know, with my Hasselblad, no assistants, no hair, no makeup, no art directors, no record company people. You just meet the person. So it's like a documentary style. Yeah. Yeah. Your style through the years is documentary because it go it shoots beyond the artists and it shoots the scene, the fans, the roadies, the people behind the scenes. And I don't think that's so typical of people who photograph musicians. I don't think it is. I think I'm rare. Well, for a start, I'm probably one of the only people who has British punk and then, you know, legends of hip hop. Tara for Jeanette Beckman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, I've always had this kind of interest in portraits and document, you know, documentary style. And, you know, as a kid, I used to go to, you know, the National Portrait Gallery, let's say, in London and look at pictures of, you know, 16th century lords on horses with like people working in the fields and go, oh, that's what it was like back then. And I always wanted to portray that. And so what were you doing with the photos that sort of no one saw? Because they saw the photos of Run DMC, but they didn't necessarily see the photos the of them. Right. You know. Is that was that your personal work? Was that your personal interest? Like what were you thinking when you were shooting that? You know, I just always would go somewhere and shoot everything I saw. And that was it. And I always, you know, I really still to this day like shooting stuff on the street because, you know, just seeing you know, what cars are on the street, what ads are in the stores, what, you know, it makes a timeline and it's very specific to that moment. It's that whole capturing a moment in time thing. And it tells the story and what people are wearing, you know, passers-by. Like I have a picture of LL Cool J and his posse standing outside the Jones Diner, if you remember the Jones Diner. I do. Which was my spot, I have to say. And, you know, there's a guy in an army uniform passing by. He's a little bit of a blur, and they're standing outside the Jones Diner. That's not there anymore. And it's it's very specific to that time, and I love that. Do you feel that you were held back being a woman or that people didn't take you seriously as a woman? <laughs> well, I have to say, being a British woman coming to photograph hip-hop here in, in New York was a huge advantage to me. I'm sure it was. It was because you were a, an exotic creature from yeah another planet. <laughs> exactly that. No, you're absolutely right. And I, you know, and I'm chatty and friendly. And they were, you know, I'd go to the Bronx to take a picture of, you know, Africa Bambata, and you know they'd be going, well, you ain't from here, and I'd be like, no, I'm from London. And bear in mind, you know, in the early '80s, people didn't really travel. So people didn't even really know where London was. So I'd be like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm from London. And then they'd go, well, what's that, what's that like? And then I'd go, well, what's the Bronx like? And we'd have this dialogue. And to me, every photo is a collaboration between me and the subject. So it starts the dialogue. It starts the collaboration. And it was a huge advantage to me. Everybody goes, it must have been hell. But in certain ways, it was really good. And in you know, well, we can discuss. 
the rest of that later. But, you know, strangely, a lot of people do not know to this day that I took those photos. Well, they better wake up. <laughs> what would you say um, is your most favorite photo that you've ever taken? I mean, I have a picture that I took in 1984 of Run DMC and Posse in Hollis. And they're just hanging out. And I went, you know, as I say, I went there to take this picture with my Hasselblad camera. And that only has 12 shots on a roll. And that was maybe the third shot I took that day, maybe. So, and I just knew, I could feel it, physically feel this is, this is a great shot. Uh, well, it also was a very exciting time with them and their sort of like thrust hip hop into the mainstream in a, totally. in a huge way. I don't have one favorite of your photos. But in, in the hip-hop stuff, I would say the Slick Rick, the EPMD on the cars. Yeah. That was a really— That's another classic moment because it's about a, the cars as well. And, but it was that. about the, the, it was yeah. the time. That was, my, that was my time. And, of course, um, the salt and pepper photo. Yes, the salt and pepper photo. Yes. Okay. Which brings us to you— sort of repurposing these photos and collaborating with painters, more specifically graffiti artists, for your new book that's coming out this week. It's very exciting. It's really exciting. Well, as you know, because you were one of the first artists, uh, about four years ago, Say Adams. Say City. Let's hear it for Say City. Say yes, City. Yes, 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 yes. Yo. He decided we were going to do a little exhibition in my loft space, and he decided he was going to get some of his friends to draw on my old-school hip-hop pictures. And I was like, eh, nobody's going to want to do that. Sure enough, he came up with 10 amazing artists, of which you are one of them. Well, here, here we are. And but it, it mushroomed out to about 50, right? Or th- well, we have 30 now. Oh, 30. And, we, you know, we are, people are asking, but, you know. Right now, we're a posse of 30. And it's, it was this amazing opening. It was so It was great. at the Museum of the City of New York. It, uh, it moved from, from her studio to the museum. That's true. And actually, it's been in Paris, Geneva, Reykjavik, London, L.A. People just love it. It gives the photos sort of new life, a different perspective, and also bringing it to a younger audience that doesn't sort of know the history and the backstory of of how it was back in the day. Totally. And every artist, we ask every artist, you know, to say what was the first wall they painted and why they chose the photo was, you know, as you know, I mean, you did an amazing... Well, thank you. We're not here to talk about me. (laughs) Well, just a little bit. All I can say is the salt and pepper mashup, a lot of people... I mean, salt and pepper, when... I saw salt and pepper. I was like, yes, like this speaks to me. And it wasn't overly, you know, they weren't overly like feminized and they were just themselves. And there was such like excitement and, you know, a force of of like female power that it was, I mean, it, there was no other choice well, they were one of the first artists to actually talk back to the guys, you know, with let's talk about sex. I mean, coming from a female perspective rather than, 
you know, yo, I saw a pretty girl walking down the street and she blah, blah, blah. Girls, they were, you know, talking back. And I, I love that. I photographed them before they even had a record out. That's how I met them. It was for some British magazine that heard of them. We just spent the day hanging out on like Avenue C and D, taking pictures one day. And they were like, hey, you know, we have this record coming out. Do you want to take a picture for us? I was like, great. So how did you, how did you get all these jobs? (laughs) No, because it's not like that everybody's friends and everybody, and and there was no internet. No. And how did you sort of insert yourself into the sort of mix to have access to these Well, a lot artists. of it was, you know, British magazines asking me to photograph because, they, you know, the Brits are so into music. They love they've music. they got to be ahead. So they had found out about all of these artists, and I didn't even know who Salt and Pepper were when they asked me to photograph them because they didn't even have a record out. You know, and then I would talk to Salt and Pepper. They'd say, oh, and we got to introduce you to our manager, Herbie. And then he'd go, oh, yo, you know, I got Dana Dane. You want to do him? And then, you know, sooner or later, then I'd meet the people at the record companies. And, you know, I was working for a lot of those really small labels, then small labels like Def Jam and Sleeping Bag. And uh, it was interesting because I had a, portfolio that I was taking around full of punk pictures. And when I went to the large record companies like CBS, they'd be like, we can't use you. Your photos are too gritty. You know, people's hair isn't combed and we're more into this airbrush look at the time, the 80s. And then finally they were like, oh, there's this hip hop thing. There's this group called the Fearless Four. You could photograph them. I was like, oh, great. And I go and photograph the Fearless Four. I think it was 1983. And that was my first uh, record cover. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, then I was sort of in the mix. I got into the mix. I mean, I remember walking into Leo Cohen's office when he was on Broadway in this little kind of shabby-looking office with my portfolio, you know, with my little punk pictures. I had a few hip-hop pictures by then. And uh, he's, like, sitting at his desk. It was hilarious, smoking a cigar, you know, his feet up on the desk. And he's, like, talking down the phone, you know, yo, you know, $100,000, blah, 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 you know, Leo being Leo, being fabulous. He looks up at me and goes, you know, come over here, show me what you got. So I kind of go show him stuff. And then like two weeks later, I'm doing LL Cool J's first press picture. Bill Adler brought him around to my studio. And you did a, you did a book with Bill Adler. Uh, yeah. And then... Um, a very early hip-hop portrait book. 1981. I, I own that book. Do you? It's ra- It's called Rap, right? Rap. Yes, Portraits yes, yes. and lyrics right, of right. the generation. And Big, Daddy, of and Big Daddy Kane's on the cover. I do. I own this book. And Big Daddy Kane is on the cover because... He's the best. He's the best. Duh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's the best. He really is. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was uh, really interesting. And I was just getting, you know, I became like the go-to person for Sleeping Bag, and they had a lot of artists. Right. So So that's why you got EMPMD. Yeah. So a lot of the artists that I shot never really amount, you know, they'd put out a record or maybe it was like you know, Spanish hip-hop or something, something, some strange genre that never, like Nocera or somebody like right. that. Right. Remember Nocera? Yes, I do. Yeah, or Noel. I shot Noel. I remember Noel. Silent yeah. Morning, great Silent song. Silent Morning. That's right, freestyle. That We thought that was going to be a big thing. Huge. And it just, it didn't. But, you know, I mean. Lisa Lisa. I mean, Lisa Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. Lisa and Colt Jam. Did you photograph them? I did. They had this really fabulous, um, 
free concert in Coney Island. I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I went there because I was also working for the Daily News magazine. So I went there to cover it for the Daily News magazine. I had like a weekly fashion spread in the back of the Daily News mag, which was really cool. So are you concentrating on hip-hop still? No, I'm concentrating. I really am concentrating on everything. So, you know, any portrait. So a lot of artists and a lot of musicians. And um, last summer, I had like one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life, which was the spring campaign for Levi's, which was they threw a block party for three days. Wow. <laughs> one, day, one day in Jersey City and two days in Bed-Stuy. And it was amazing. We were street casting people. Someone would come by and go, yo, you're really cool. Put a Levi t-shirt on you. Take a picture. I mean, they're the best client. Maybe one of the best clients. I have some others that are good, but um, you we know, love, we love Levi's. We do. <laughs> we really do. You know, and I'm doing a campaign for this Italian shoe company called Fiorentini and Baker. That's been ongoing. I think we've been working on it for two years now, shooting extraordinary people who wear their shoes. So. I have a picture of, say, Adams holding a pot of paint in front of his painting. You know, Jose James, you know, Leon, the actor, all sorts of people. We, and I'm going to Milan so to shoot are you, for them. So are you looking to shoot ad campaigns? Uh, yeah. More more than do, like, personal projects and work on books? Uh, we, all know, we all know books don't make you any money. Ah, they don't. Just letting you guys know. Absolutely not. Great for press. It's just nice. But it's nice to do books because, you know, then hopefully, you know. Well, you get more work out of it, right? Yeah, and not only that, it'll be in, you know, university libraries and it'll help. I mean, this mashup book, the 30, can I just segue back to that for one second? Let's talk about mashup right now. This mashup book that's just about to come out. I mean, we have 30 artists, obviously, the fabulous Clomani, but, you know. We have, say, Adams, we have Futura, we have Lee Canonas, we have Lady Pink. That's right. And we have, you know, a lot of the younger generation. We have Queen Andrea, mm-hmm. you know, Sess. We have Sess. Let's hear it for Sess. Yes, let's hear it for Sess. <laughs> um, we just got Chuck King Fade. He was the last one. Oh, he's, I love him. Yeah, he's a great guy. I mean, Zephyr came out of, you know... Retirement. Retirement to do a piece. Jester, who pretty much invented the bubble lettering, yeah. came completely out of retirement. I mean, we've got so many great artists. And bearing in mind, I didn't know who any of these people... Well, I didn't know... I knew who they were, but I didn't know any of them. And it was just, you know, I feel so honored that... Well, what about guys, what about a book of portraits of the artists? Well... And then you can get the rappers to draw on them. That's a funny idea. That's a really funny idea. Well, actually... It's called Crash Up. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, actually, in the wrap-up book, in the uh, the mashup book, there are actually portraits of all the artists. You may remember I took a portrait of in you... In 23rd Street. On your fire escape. On my fire escape right. on 23rd Street, exactly. I remember. Every artist has a chapter. It's their mashup. It's their artist statement. My portrait of them, all black and white, and also a piece of their own work. So it's like a chapter. Every artist has a chapter, which is the coolest thing. Well, that's, you know what? That's a very giving and unselfish way to print a book. And let's hear it for Jeanette Beckman. For knowing that community is so important 
when it comes to culture. And I think we have to hear it for Say Adams, who pretty much... Of course, and for Say Adams, well, who always... Much curated uh, the book. And he curates everything. He curates he, everything, yes, and yes. if it wasn't for him, the book yes. wouldn't exist, so... Yes, Say, yeah. thank you for um, pointing Jeanette in the right direction <laughs> and always, you know, blessing everyone with great ideas. Well, he's really the co-author, so, you know, and it's going to be such a nice hardback book. It's going to be amazing. Oh, we have Crash. Now I'm thinking crash about... Crash days, right? We don't have days. No days. We don't get no around days. to days. We have Crash. Yep, we have Crash. <laughs> oh, we have, you know, a lot of really, really good artists. Sharp. Sharp. And a lot of women artists. Yay, thank you. Side. Thank you. So... Thank you, thank I'm you. I'm very proud of it, and I've never done it. You know, because photography is, you know, even though I photograph people and it's very social... It's also a kind of lonely, you know what I mean? You kind of go and you run into someone's life, you take photos, you get to know them, and then you right off, out again. off you go. And off you go, and then you spend hours now on the computer, sadly. Um, so it's like a one-night stand, and then you stalk them. It is kinda. kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Although I am actually working with Jose James. Do you know him? I don't. He's a really great jazz singer, uh-huh. and he's doing... Um, Young dude, he's doing, uh, we've been working together for also about three, four years, actually. He's doing a Bill Withers tribute album. He's Hmm. on on Blue Note. Also coming out in September. So you should check that out. Jeanette Beckman's very busy with all of her September launches this month. So keep your eyes peeled. And I'm having a show in LA in October the 4th, which could be good. Featuring the mashup. Oh, f- and a lot of my other legend, so-called legendary so, photos. Tell me about the Go Hard Boys. Oh, well, the Go Hard Boys. Well, I photographed them first I think three years ago, maybe, for a British magazine that I was the New York editor of, which is now defunct, sadly, but it was a great magazine called Jocks and Nerds. Someone had told me there was this dirt bike gang in Harlem, and I kind of became obsessed and got in touch with them and... They don't let people photograph them. You know, they just kind of, of do what not. they— Of course not. It's illegal. It's illegal. Exactly. But, you know, I got to meet Shay, who's the CEO of the Go Hard Boys, and we were sitting on a stoop up there in Harlem, and I had brought my hip-hop book, The Breaks, and I showed it, and he's like, wow, you took all these pictures, and we're sitting there, and we both looked down, we're both wearing Converse, same Converse sneakers, and he looks at me and he goes— I could get something together for you. And I end up doing this photo shoot on a hot summer's day where I was going down the Bruckner Expressway in the back of an F-150 truck in the bed, you know, photographing these guys doing these tricks. I know. (laughs) It's like, are you scared? I was like, this is like the best thing that's happened to me. It was so amazing. So, um, yeah, and then we became friends and now, you know, now you can find Jeanette popping wheelies on the Bruckner on Sundays at 3 a.m. Sunday. <laughs> Every Sunday, rain or shine. <laughs> you also were recording another sort of illegal subculture, which was L.A. gangs. Yeah, it was actually just in 1983, this one specific gang called the Oyomaravia, which, you know, I was new to America. I had no idea who these people were, but I'd read an article about them and there were no photos. So I just went... I just thought, this sounds really interesting. I got the writer to take me up there and introduce me, and I spent the whole summer just going back and forth. I had rented an old rent-a-wreck car, like a really big old V8 
right? Monster. And I was just driving up and down to East LA and people, all my friends were like, yeah, you shouldn't be going out there. It's really dangerous. There's gang wars. And it's fine. So were the, did they know you were photographing them or was it more sort of you were like in in the bushes with a, a long lens? No bushes. <laughs> uh, that's uh, not... <laughs> like... No bushes. That's 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 paparazzi. No, I'm always there, right? You know, talking to people. So, and it was another thing where I actually had a box of pictures of punks Mm -hmm. and you know mods and skins from London, and I brought it along. And I was like, "Look, these are the gangs of the UK. I photographed. Now I want to take pictures of you guys and bring them back to the UK and show them what you're doing." And they were very cool with that. So I just would turn up, you know, every day, every other day. And, you know, they would bring me to their granny's house and I'd hang out there and, you know, show me their motorbikes and this and that and the other. And it was really great. I did a bunch of portraits and that actually became a book published by Dashwood, a little book that came out in something 2011, I think. Oh, I want to see that book. I don't think I own that. I thought I had the complete Jeanette Backman library, but apparently not. I think it's sold out, but, you know, you should see it. It's, It's really cool. And because social media by then was uh, going, the book got quite a lot of play on blogs and things. Mm -hmm. And then some of these people got in touch with me, these three girls that I had photographed. They, you know, they were actually girlfriends, I think, of some of the gang guys. Mm -hmm. And they had come down and I took a picture of them hanging out in front of a car. And they got in touch with me like, yeah, you know, that's us in the picture. And if you come to L.A., you know, we'd love to meet you. So we ended up having this lunch in the Homeboy Cafe, which rehabilitates gang members because one of them now works there. And we had this fabulous lunch we were just talking about back in the day. And it was really funny because they, for a start, they're like, we think it might be 1982 because what color was the car? And I'm like, I don't remember because if the car was blue, that was 1982. And if the car was gold, it had been re- that was 83 because it had been resprayed because someone was shot in the car and there's blood all over the car and they had to respray the car. This is how they dated my photos. I was like, wow. But these yeah. women were just amazing. One worked for the DA's office. One works homeboy rehabilitation. And the other one is um, in human resources and drives a, drives a Mercedes with gold rims. I'm like, how did you get from here to there? And they're still best friends. I mean... Because people are complicated and there's duplicity and, you know... Yeah. It's, it's not just uh, one way. And it was so amazing. They told me that most of the guys that I'd photographed, maybe 90% of them were either in jail or killed. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. And I had no idea. And then I started reading, you know, 2011 about this gang. And it was like, this is one of the most violent gangs and da-da-da-da, knife killing. You're like, these are my homies. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that was the funny thing. And, you know, a few other people got in touch and I sent them prints and, you know... It's a, it's all about, I mean, even they're violent, but it's all about family. It is all about family. And, and when so, you're raised in a certain family, yeah, you know, certain things become normalized and um, we're not here to judge. No, and I think they, you know, whatever they do, but they take care of each other. And same thing with the dirt bike guys, you know. Shay is all about kids riding dirt bikes, not taking drugs. You know, it's... It's all about community and family. And actually, 
I think about it, my fantasy, you know, the mashup is really like a big family. I see the way you graffiti artists are. You all know each other. You all still hang. You're all happy to see each other, maybe with a couple of exceptions. I mean, a more than a couple. Just me. I'm the hater. Well, uh, well the ones that I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying. I do. I do. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it's I, community. It, it is. You and I both went to the... Charlie's Wild Style 35th anniversary. Yes. Back in August. And um, it was amazing. There were so many people there and everybody. I couldn't wait to leave. I was like, oh, my God, there's those guys. I got to get out of here. And everybody's, it's nice. Everybody's <laughs> hugging each other. And, you know, it's, I think it's a great sense of community and the fact that Charlie can get all these people. You Absolutely. Know, right. And I think they all really intersect, I mean, in that movie. It's pretty amazing, and, you know— the Well, that was sort of the intersection of the hood with downtown culture. Right. Do you miss the old New York? Yes. I mean, I was living on Avenue B and 8th Street all through the 80s. <laughs> so I was, you know, popping in and out of the fun gallery and doing my photo shoots on Avenue C when it's all bombed-out buildings. Yeah. And I have a picture of the ultramagnetic MCs. But the ultramagnetics had this uh, idea that they wanted to have their friends dress as rappers and they'd all be lying dead in this bombed out site, you know, and they'd be standing over there and going, you know, we're that good, we killed you. And, you know, they had somebody dressed as LL and this and that and the other. And, I, you know, it was easy for me to find a bombed out site around the corner from my house because I was living on Avenue B. You know, the hall of the Lower East Side was a mess. I mean, I but do those miss were, it. Yeah, I mean... You miss the sense of, like, community and sort of there was an acceptance that was going on. Totally. And, and, a, and a tolerance for other people that's sort of missing now. And, yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, wealthier people living there and yes. a lot of young people who are kind of, you know, going to various colleges in the neighborhood. And, you know, they're, they're very entitled Yes. You know, and they kind of bump into you in bars and things. People were a lot more considerate in a way. I think I think you're right. Yeah, there was a, there was a like a politeness like we're all in it together. Yeah. And now it's sort of me, like me and my individual bubble don't touch me or talk to me or like I mean it's it's weird. It's a different culture. I mean, you know, I lived there during the Tompkins Square riots. That was pretty great. Remember that? Yes, I do. I do. I live there too. Yeah. It was a really interesting time to be in the city. I think I was very lucky that I came here then. That was what that what year was that? 90? 89? Yeah, something like that. So 89. That was a, a strange time also in in downtown because downtown was just the cheapest place to live in right. all of Manhattan and that's why we all lived there because the price was right and right. you were miles away from the subway, right? Yeah, to, oh yeah. And, you know, that's the price you paid, but sort of, it sort of governed itself. And then all of a sudden the police were there and you were like, well, what are you doing here? We're okay. We're cool by ourselves. We can handle this. Right. Yeah, it was so insane. I think they brought a lot of cops in from Long Island. Yeah. Who didn't know any of the characters. So they were beating people yeah, up. Yeah, very insensitive. Right. Right. Not even doing anything. I mean, Clayton... Clayton Patterson was in there taking photos. Yeah, he really documented all of that. Yeah. 
Um, do you think you would have felt comfortable as a woman to sort of infiltrate all of that sort of angst there? You know, I was living in an apartment right on the park, and those anarchist guys were, you know, I'd go to the local meetings just to see what was going on, and those anarchist guys were not having it. Like, if you had somewhere to live, they're like, well, you own a TV set, and, you know, you're yuppie scum. And I'm like, actually, I'm working every day, and uh, yes, I do have a TV and a cat. Whatever. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. As as you should if you want that. You know what I mean? Right. That's an important thing for you to work. Yeah. I didn't really need to live in a tent in the park. And, you know, so I wouldn't have really wanted to infiltrate them. I mean, I knew some of them. Not to live with them, but to sort of photograph them. There was an angry crew. It was not. I wasn't so interested in them, really. I don't know. I mean, you know, between them and the drug dealer, you know, the crack houses around the corner. And, the, you know, it was a pretty interesting neighborhood. So, I mean, I was pretty busy photographing all the musicians and doing my, you know, trying to get hip hop into the daily news and all of this stuff. So, so uh, th- there's lots of common threads. There's music. There's rebellion. There's also like youth culture. Do you still find yourself fascinated with youth culture? I do. I do. And I'm always looking for the next thing to photograph, you know, and wherever I go. And so looking. what? what is hot in youth culture right now? I don't really know. I mean, I just, you know, wherever I go. Well, right now, actually, this isn't really youth culture, but I'm doing a big project. It's a pro bono thing for this organiza- organization called Proof. And it's to get out the vote in the midterm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to swing states and setting up just like a backdrop on a street in, you know, underserved neighborhoods and registering people to vote and doing portraits. And it's called I Vote Because. So everybody has to say why it's important to vote. That's great. It's, Can you vote? Are you a citizen? Yes, I am. Do you vote? Of course I do. Everybody should. I think it you know, it should be mandatory, to be honest. But it's very interesting because a lot of people think that their vote doesn't count or it's not going to do any good. So, you know, we've photographed all sorts of people. We've been in Jacksonville, St. Louis. Uh, we're upstate in Kingston. You know, we're just kind of doing a lot of swing states. And it's really interesting meeting people. And you basically have like three minutes to get a portrait of somebody and try and make them look you know, alive and committed and whatever <laughs> to whatever. But it, it's been a, it's been great. And um, so I've been working on that. It's not really rebel culture, but it's definitely... It's an important, uh, well, underserved. It's a community of people that are not sort of recognized, right? And you're sort of focusing on them to show them that they're important. Well, yeah, I just think that, you know, everybody has a voice. That's what a democracy is all about. And if they vote, you know, their voice will be heard, and that's really it, you know. Do you miss being British? I mean, you are British, but do you miss being a British, like, citizen? Not really, no. Not really. I can still get fish and chips if I want. <laughs> right. Do you do you often go back to England? No, once a year, maybe. I just had a hip-hop show, actually, at the Getty Gallery in London, which was a lot of fun. And it's amazing how... The Brits love old school hip hop and the hip- like nobody else. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it was it was me and, and trainers. Right, and trainers. Exactly. <laughs> You've got to have the right trainers. And um, 
<laughs> and it wasn't just me. It was at Getty Archive and Dave, my friend David Corio and I. So there, it was a big show. I think, I don't know if it's still up. But, um, yeah, it was really interesting. It got on the BBC and a lot of people came down for it. And it's exciting. Well, now it's digital cameras. You see sort of more people than ever going into photography. That that is a sort of a, a worthwhile career choice. Often people ask me like, oh, give me advice about my art career. And I'm like, don't go into art. It's so hard to make a living. It is hard to make a living. And there are all these blogs now and, you know, everybody, everything's on the internet. So people need content on the one hand, but then on the other hand, they don't really want to pay for it. So it's a bit of a dichotomy. And, you know, everybody has an Instagram and, you know, I feel like... So so basically the, the novices and the hobbyists sort of are taking over photography as, as a career. Uh, I think so. Well... I do too. You know, I mean, I'm... I like the idea that people who want to do take photos can take photos and they have a platform to show them and it's amazing but there's so much content now I personally you know I'm not of that generation that grew up with a phone in my hand so you know I find it overwhelming like you can't look at anything everything I'm a mad instagrammer Jeanette photo by the way and <laughs> you know I feel it's I try with and no e j a n e t t e Jeanette Thank you. The British spelling. The British spelling. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. My mom is crazy. But, you know, I think it's great that everybody has a platform and can show their stuff. That's really amazing. But then on the other hand... Well, how do you how do you separate the, you know... Good from the, the bad. The, or the, the mediocre girl, from the... Right. Or the girls from the women. It's, it's actually impossible, I think. And people's taste level, you know, is governed by how many likes they have on, you know, how many followers they have well, on Instagram. Well, that's the problem. There's a hollow, there's hollow sort of fandom, and it lasts for, it's a temporary uh, uh, fan that you have for a moment, and then you sort of look back and you're like, it's an Instagram post, not my life's work. Right. Like, you know, personally, I try and keep my Instagram pretty much work-orientated. I'm not putting pictures of, you know, what I ate for dinner up there. Except for I did put an English breakfast. I was going to say, I'm very interested. I would love to see I what put an English breakfast <laughs> up there because I was in England. And it's, and it's so delicious. It's so good. It really is. Yeah. But normally, you know, I try and keep it more work-focused. But, you know, everybody should, you know, it's a free country. And, you know, I like the idea that people are creative and everybody has different tastes. So that's good. And you're right. Anybody can be a photographer. And a lot of jobs, frankly, that I used to get because I used to work a lot for things like Nickelodeon and Sesame Street and all of, you know, they'd get me to photograph like a, an orange, a boy holding an orange. Now they're just going to get it off Instagram, you know. Or, sure, or Getty Images or any, yeah. or, yeah. Right, so things have really changed work-wise. But you're still in demand. You're still being <laughs> sought after for your exactly. documentary style and for your special eye that only you have. I'm very lucky that way. And I'm very lucky to photograph two incredible, you know, punk and then hip hop and then have my stuff remade into something else. Now, 
you know, bringing it to the attention of a whole new crew of people is really exciting for me. Right. I mean, if I'd been photographing, you know, fashion, probably wouldn't have been like this. So. And do you find that it's easier now to be a woman in photography? Or was it sort of, you know, for, for me, just to, you know, frame, yeah. frame my question? You know, people, oh, it was so, must have been so hard to be a woman in graffiti. Like, it was a huge advantage as well. As much right. of it being difficulty, it brought me visibility that yeah. other people didn't have. Do you feel similarly? Well, right now, yes. Because there's not that many women that have done what I've done. Right, OGs. Right, OGs. And, you know, I imagine with the hashtag Me Too thing, you know, people are looking more seriously at women artists now because, you know, they. I think it's been hard for women artists. It hasn't been so hard for me, but it has been hard for a lot of women painters, sculptors. And I think now people are looking more serious. I've been in a couple of art shows that have just been women artists, which I'd never been in before. Pretty much actually thanks to Alice, Miss Rauchy. Oh, good. One of our fabulous mashup artists who's very into this world. And it's it's great. It's an interesting thing. And I never really, I, I never really want to identify myself as a specific thing other than I'm a, you know, I'm a portrait documentary photographer. I'm happy with that. I don't need to be, you know, identified as a woman or, you know, certain. But age. don't you don't you feel in some way that it sort of influences your work and influences your sort of point of view, being a woman, I and sort being, of having like well, a sensitivity that maybe, you know, only women have. It's an interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to talk to somebody like Martha Cooper and see what she thinks about it. Because, you know, maybe as women, we do have a different way of looking at things. And personally, I mean, I definitely have never been one to have a whole load of, you know, I always think this is a boy thing, a whole load of different types of cameras and long lenses and boxes of this lens and that lens. I always kept it really simple. And because I like to be on the move. Who the fuck wants to schlep all that stuff? So right, exactly. And I never needed it. You'd have one and then you have a spare one in case that one breaks. That's it. That's all you need. And yeah. how often is your is your equipment breaking on a shoot? Often? No. No. But you know. But you never know. You just never know. So you have to, as a professional, you have to have that backup and it can't really be the iPhone yet. But um, you know. It's a, it's a boy thing to go, well, you know, I've got the I've got the FXD Mark they 8. Love the with the, they love toys. They love toys. Yeah, do. they love toys. And I understand. And options. And, yeah. Right. And I was never complicated with my lighting when I did studio stuff. I always kept everything really simple. It's more about the vibe between me and, this, and the person and come around to my studio, play some music, we'll chat. We're going to, you know, figure out who you want to, you know, who you are, how you want to be represented. Keep the lighting simple. That's always been my thing. I never did complicated lighting like a lot of more guy photographers, I think, did a lot of complicated artsy lighting, which is cool. But you want you were all about realness. Yeah. And, you know, not retouching and, you know, taking the natural light and making it work. Totally. And I still don't really retouch my digital images today because So are you photographing now mostly digital? I am. And, um, because of co co it's because more cost of, of, cost. of course, yeah. of course. Like that iVote project, 
you know. But you know. what do you do with all the photos that you're not printing? Like it's on a hard drive somewhere and then yeah. What happens to those photos? Well, you know, you could have an exhibition or someone will call you up and say, hey, you know, you did that shoot with Stetsasonic. Do you have any unseen pictures, blah, blah? And then you start going back and looking and go, oh, wow, this, I never printed this before. And actually, it's the same with the negatives. I'm looking through old negs and you always print that one big daddy cane photo. Right. That's the one. But then I'm looking like sometimes I'll pop one up on Instagram. Like I recently put a picture of Public Enemy. Uh, and everybody loved it. They'd the one on Crosby seen... Street or something? Yeah. Was it on Crosby Street? Yeah, it was on uh, Elizabeth. Oh, same thing. Yeah. Cobblestones. Yeah, you know. outside. Cobblestone there. Soho. It was outside uh, the Def Jam office, and Flavor Flav didn't turn up for some Flavor Flav type reason. Sure. <laughs> so, and everybody loved that photo, and nobody would seen it before. So, it's, I mean, actually, Instagram's great for that because it's nice to show things, right, that are hidden in boxes or hard drives or... So as as much as hip-hop is sort of revered, old-school hip-hop is sort of revered by a certain demographic, for instance, when we were at the Wild Style thing uh, for the 35th anniversary a month back, today's youth sort of don't know anything about it, nor do they care. I think that's—it's interesting because I've done some workshops. I also, you know, have done some photo workshops. I did a street portrait workshop in Pittsburgh— the Three Rivers Festival this year. And the kids, you know, they're 15, 16 years old. And I'm showing them, you know, my work to introduce myself. They're going, you know, who knows who this is? I put up salt and pepper and they all look completely blank. And then someone, the teacher goes, that's salt and pepper. I mean, they don't know. And they go, oh, yeah, my mom listens to that. It's interesting. They don't. And I'm wondering, I'm trying to... Well, how can you sort of put the youth back into sort of past youth cultures. And wow. like you would think that through photography is a, is a great way to do it. But right. sort of there's a, a disconnect in hip hop culture or rap music or whatever right. with sort of giving dap to sort of the predecessors. Right. But I also believe that youth are rebellious and they want to do their own thing and they don't care and they don't want to follow that path and they're coming up with their own sort of um, point of view and so they reject everything. It's true. But I think there's a certain segment of youth that realizes that they missed something. You know, I think it's really before the internet. You know, there was a certain feeling that they, they're never going to be able to get and they are interested in it. And, you know, hopefully with the mashup book, I think that this could be, you know, it could cross a lot of cultures because I know, you know, there's a lot of younger artists who really revere the older artists. And I think that it could be a really good teaching tool as well. I think, you know, they know who they are, but they need to be taught how great they are. I'm actually doing... Um, a mashup with some other unseen outtakes uh, where some young artists in New Bedford, Mass, uh-huh. are going to do big, giant mural mashups. And they get to choose out of, I don't know, I gave them like six or seven choices, so they get to choose which artists. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see who they choose. But yeah. So mashup is your sort of new way of like reinterpreting these photographs. 
and re sort of entering them into the vortex of hip hop in, you know. I think so. Yeah, I think it, it is. And I mean, there's a lot of people who like my, you know, archive old school photos just because they grew up, you know, people in their 40s, let's say. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, that was, those were the those were the photos. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I want that in my man cave or whatever. You know, that picture of Stets. I remember what I was doing when that record came out or whatever. So it's it's interesting. And um, it's interesting. So you danced around it, but there is no sort of definitive youth culture that you're very interested in right now that is sort of happening. And I think a lot of that is because the Internet and I that— I think the youth culture is on the Internet. Right. You know, and video games and this and that and the other, they're all doing that. It's not like you can go out and see people doing— Right. They're in their living room. Yeah. They're all right, home and doing it, home, or right. they're walking down the street looking at their phones— I don't know. I could be wrong about that and texting and all of this stuff. But, you know, I'm sure there are people doing things and I'm sure I'm going to find them. And if there is anybody listening, who's got something going on. Holler at Jeanette Beckman. Holler out. Exactly. And then also I read I read something about you photographing girl fights. Oh, yeah. In Brooklyn. Tell me about that. That was actually really amazing. Um, a friend of mine, Courtney, was making a movie about this illegal girl fight scene in um, Brownsville. And so they were making a doc about this one woman who was trying to get, she had a bunch of kids, three or four kids, and she's trying to get out of the hood by winning these girl fights. So Were the they girl, gloves? No. The, girl, the local drug dealers would hold these legal girl fights in like an old garage or something. You know, I went, the one I went to was in this cement garage and there was like a pit bull tied up in the back and they put a boxing ring up. It was in the middle of the winter and we went out there. I went out there with a film crew because I was doing stills for it. It was incredible. So that so what's the purse when you win a, when you win the girl fight? How much money are you? You know, getting? I can't remember exactly what Is it, it was. Is it a thousand dollars? Is it five thousand dollars? I don't think it was five. It was more like I think I can't remember exactly five hundred. I can't okay. remember. Okay. But these fights, so it's just girls. They don't wear gloves, and they get in the ring and they beat the hell out of each other. And it's, it's all, they do whatever. It's not yeah, like it's, above, like, the belt and no. hair pulling. And well, all they do that. have hair pulling. Like Some girl got her weave pulled out when I was there. I mean, it was crazy. And meanwhile, everybody in the audience, who's all the local people, because everybody knows about it, all betting. And But is it is it a male audience? Is it a male? Mix. And it is it's mixed. Because all the girls bring, bring their, their friends. Right. I mean, it was crazy. And the noise in this place was amazing. At first, it was a little scary. And I was there with my friend Ben. And he was like, you know, we're here, whatever. And I was like, shit, I'm a little nervous because they had really high security. Because if somebody sure, decided to bring a right. gun in there, who knows what would happen. But luckily nothing happened. And, you know, I just was in there. I pick up my camera and I'm like, well, I'm here now. I may as well start taking pictures. And soon everybody's posing for me. And it was it was incredible. These people, these girls, and some of them were, you know, young, like 14, 15 years old, beating the hell out of each other for, say, I think the fights were like three or four minutes long. 
and, you know, they had a bell and they had, you know, they had their corners, like a boxing match. And you had to fight hard or you didn't get paid. So everybody fought hard. It was really amazing, round after round, and people laying bets and, you know, everybody smoking weed. Right, and I'm I'm sure that some of these women left left the ring all bruised and, and bloody. Totally, totally. It was crazy. And then I went and photographed, you know, like some local communicants. We were also, they were making a, a documentary was about people's lives. So, you know, I went to this girl's grandmother's house and, you know, I went to a kid's party. and You know, that was all very intense. You're in Brownsville. It's a very interesting neighborhood. And so, again, you're sort of having that, like, relationship where you it's very intimate and then you sort of leave. Right. And then you're sort of, you revisit it by looking at your work. Totally. I think it would be very interesting for you to sort of photograph some of the people that you've photographed, but maybe now it's years later. Oh, yeah. And that would be an incredible sort of um, slice into their lives and what, you know, how much things have changed and sort of how much you've changed, sort of. Yeah, yeah, it could be really interesting. I mean, it's funny, and even when I bump into, like, I, I bumped into uh, Cedric from the Ultramagnetic MCs, I often seem to bump into him at events. He was at the Wild Style thing. And, you know, he's like, Jeanette, you took the best picture ever of, you know, and I'm like, I get so happy seeing them now. And, you know, they're all older guys. You know. Well, I would love to style. Okay. And, and, let's and do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. That could be fun. It would be awesome, yeah, right? Yeah. And then sort really of like, awesome. you know, some of these people and, you know, how time has changed. Everyone. Yeah, we're all a little older. You ever feel like retiring? I don't. I don't really think retiring is in my. Uh, it's, I mean, I just like love taking photos. It makes me really happy. You know, it's this very intense experience being with somebody, and you know, I'm not really thinking about retirement. People keep saying, "Oh, yeah, you should," you know, think about retirement. I was like, "Why? I'm doing what I love. Lucky me. I've been doing what I love and." Honestly, you know, as far as that question you were asking about, you know, should photographers, you know, should people want want to be photographers? To, it's not a great way to make a living. You know, your it's income very is, is very up and down, shall we say? Right. You know, and back and people always have that misconception. Oh, you must have made so much money shooting that cover for you know whatever, Run DMC or something, like. Probably 500 bucks. No, we didn't get paid much money back in the day. And actually now, you know, there are only certain things that actually make money. People think that you can make a lot of money in photography. I mean, I'm lucky because I have archive and sell work and people want to buy my work. But Well, how much of your, uh, how much of your week is spent archiving? Because I imagine that that must be, because I'm not a photographer and right. I'm archiving right. constantly. It, take, it takes up a lot of time and, you know, there's always somebody making a movie about, you know, a tribe called Quest and they want this picture and this picture and this picture and you have to go and find them and scan them. So it depends. And you so know. how do you do that? I just, are they all in your studio or are they like Everything, in storage? No, or? no, it's all in my studio. So 
you know, I've, I've got my nags. I've got, you know, I'm looking on my hard drives. So do you feel a need to sort of digi- digitize everything? Because I should, but it's I haven't. Very, it's it was, too much stuff. I mean, I've got a huge, long Why don't you get these young photography interns in there scanning, scanning, (laughs) scanning? Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, it's it's true. It's a good idea. They would love it. You know, I've had interns, and sometimes they get bored with filing negs. Kids these days think everything has to be super interesting and on fire all the time, but they don't understand about work ethic. Right, quiet... I don't mean to sound like a grandma, but there's something about the work ethic and having to do a lot of things you don't really want to do. I mean, it's not all glamour. I did a lot of shoots uh, last year for Interview Magazine before it went down. Mm-hmm. We're shooting a lot of bands for them and artists and stuff. And it's all very glamorous. You know, people, stylists coming in with three racks of clothing, you know, 50 pairs of shoes for one hip-hop artist who's, you know, comes in wearing sweats and, you know, with her friend. And it's like, you know, you got 10 people in the studio making this person look so super glamorous. Then I go out and take pictures for five minutes. Well, they took like two hours to get them ready. And then, you know, that's it. And you don't, you know, be lucky if you get paid. So it's not all glamour. Let me just put it like that. It seems like it. When you look at, you know, say Jay-Z and Beyonce and their latest video where, you know, they've got how many changes of clothes? I think every shot looks like they've got a different change of clothing. I wouldn't even know. I don't watch those old people. No. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> but one thing I would like to just give a little shout out to, talking about fashion and this and that and the other, is Dapper Dan. Where, did you know him back in the day? I did not. But you photographed a lot of his clothing on wrappers. So many. It's funny. And I actually am just looking through some archive of this thing called Rap Mania, which was in the Apollo. It was like a big show at the Apollo in, I think, 1990. And I had set up a backdrop because I was so obsessed with the style and photographed all these people. And so many of them are wearing his clothes. I mean, it was sort of, that was the go-to guy once you got that money, yeah. that's where you went. I mean, really inspired staff. I really regret not ever going to his store back in the day because I used to go up to 125th Street, but I just, I guess that just wasn't on my radar. Right. But it's, it's You're like, I don't, I'm not going to a boutique. Well, I'm I see, I, photograph I, these gang members. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true. It's probably true. I know. I don't know. Some Some strange thing, but yeah, I still love doing that. I still like doing street photos, and that's why the I Vote thing is perfect for me. I get to go out and, you know, take photos of people around the country for something that I truly believe in. So, Well, street photographers are definitely getting a lot of attention oh, yeah. and, having, and having their day. But, I, again, I think it's, it's some of the most important work in capturing the changing way, uh, of the guard, the the— changing of of New York City. What would you say your favorite time was in New York City? Wow. That's probably, you know, the, you know, mid to late 80s was a great time. I mean, I can say, you know, art, graffiti art was huge. There were all these great little galleries and, 
you know, the music was just, you know, coming up. I kind of, it's really It was nice. a very exciting time, right? It was right? a very exciting time. People looked amazing on the street and everybody was very open. And I got to say, you know, it was a different thing. People weren't really just doing it to get rich. It's not that people, No, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't about that. It wasn't. And it's not to say that people didn't want to make money because they had rents to pay. But on the other hand, I think it was coming from a different place. And were you here for 9-11? Yes. And what was that like? <laughs> it was, you know, it was really surreal. Where were you? <laughs> Where were you at 9-11? Because this is an interesting thing for real New Yorkers. Crazily enough, I'd just done this new promotional piece, bearing in mind, you know, it was before the internet. I was going to mail. It was a mailer of work. I was going to mail out to, you know, a lot of advertising agencies and whatever, magazines. I had this huge, on a wheelie, huge thing of stamped, ready to mail. I was outside the post office, which is now the Apple store, on Prince Street, waiting for it to open. Um, and uh, standing there with a Japanese woman, and we just looked, and there was a plane flew over really low, you could see all the way down to the World Trade Center, and we saw this plane crash into the tower. And we're like, oh, my God, what happened? And then we walked into the post office like five minutes later, and somebody had like a transistor radio at their, you know, mailing station. And they were like, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Did you feel like you had to run home and get your camera? Or were you like, oh, my God, I, I'm in shock, and I just need to, like, live? Yeah. I went home and I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and everybody was, you know, calling up, going, you see, and I had a lot of people come around my house and we, you know, cooked and, you know, watching the TV. And then after that, I didn't actually run down to the World Trade Center, but, you know, I was volunteering, you know, making peanut butter and jelly right, sandwiches. Right, delivering on ice. the west, yeah, yeah, on the West Side Highway, going around stores, collecting supplies for people. Did that for a little bit. And then I got a lot of commissions, actually, for work because um, some of the British magazines I worked for, not music magazines, but newspapers, wanted me to do a story on people who lost... Family. Family right. in the World Trade Center. So... We spend a lot of time out in New Jersey because a lot of the brokers and people sure. photographing families and talking to them. It was really heartbreaking. We spent about a week doing that. And then I did something for Con Edison, photographing people who were working on repairs. It was weird. I got a lot of work, but it was pretty grim. And it's amazing. I mean, the one thing was that everybody pulled together in everybody the city. Everybody pulled together. It was a really incredible time it for was. sort of unifying and everyone came from the same sort of headspace of like what is going on here in our city right right did you feel like there was going to be continual violence in New York because I just was like I'm gonna die like it's just gonna happen after after this. Like it's something else is gonna happen. And we're gonna just die in the next month or two. No, I kind of thought it it was a thing, but I did have some strange dreams about you know planes hitting and you know stuff like that. It came, it came to me in dreams more than in reality. I just think that you know you're so in it because you know you're trying to 
you're out there with all the people trying to help the fire people and everything. And then, you, you know, then you're doing your photography. And I kind of got through it like that. I mean, that's how I always get through stuff. I was actually, interestingly, on a, I was in a show in Long Island City that was all women art show this year. And there was a panel discussion and the moderator asked every artist, and mostly painters, how did you feel after Trump got in? And every woman pretty much on that panel said, oh my God, I was so depressed. I couldn't, I couldn't work. I couldn't go in my studio. I divorced my husband. I started taking... Yeah, basically. It know, was just like a war on men after that. Yeah. yeah. And everybody. And then... I, it came to me, and I was like, "Well, and no." It said, "How did how did it affect your practice?" They're all like, "Well, I couldn't paint. I was, you know, blah blah blah." And then it came to me, and I was like, "Well, the re- the next day, I went to Union Square because I heard about this illegal demonstration. I went on the demonstration. I took photos. I went on a ton more demonstrations, and it was really cathartic." to be out there with people protesting and taking photos and making, you know, making art. And I felt that was the thing I had to do. I guess I always turned to my art practice in times of stress. So, yeah, so it's like a, it's therapeutic for it's you therapeutic. to like sort of like work through yeah. how you feel. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so kids, listen up. Use your work. To help you follow, right. follow your passions. Follow your passions and yeah. work work through your angst, well, you through know. your work. I mean, you've been doing what you do and you've had stores and you know, making I'm ready to cl- retire though. You're not. <laughs> Are you really? I'm like, fuck this. It sucks. <laughs> no. You're still so brilliant. Yeah, I don't know. I I find that there's an explosion in graffiti and street art, and it's very difficult to sort of Get walls where it used to be easy, and uh, there's just so much competition, and everybody sort of wants to be, like, a part of it, and I'm a little bit bored by it, personally. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm bored of being claw money, kind of. What about the clothing? Bored of that, too. What? Okay. Let me know when the sale is (laughs) coming down. (laughs) I'd like to retire. I don't know if I can, but, you know, I've been thinking about it. Wow. Yeah. You should do a book. I've done a book. I printed a book in 2007, honey. It's sold out. I don't know what to tell you. Just like a 2011 one. Whatever. Whatever. You don't know my book? No. Uh, the Life and Crimes of Claw Money Powerhouse Books. 2007. Oh, Sarah Rosen. Sarah Rosen. It's here for my publisher, Sarah Rosen. Yes, Miss Rosen. Rosen. Miss Rosen's a very important person to me. She's a very important person. Yes, and I think people don't know. She's a very important person in the culture. Yes, I agree. And One of the I, few people who can really write about it. There's not she, that many people. She can but. write about it. She can recognize it. She can pinpoint it, and she goes for it. And, you know, Sarah Rosen is everything to me. I love Sarah Rosen. She's good people. Yeah, she's great. She's yeah, great. And she was, she, you're on Miss Rosen's editions too? Uh, or your your powerhouse. I was powerhouse, but she was the press person. Yes. She got me the most amazing press for my punk book. Of course book. she did. I mean, Italian Vogue for a punk book. I mean. Really. But is, isn't it incredible how sort of punk fashion is sort of mainstream fashion now? It's insane. And that, as well as hip-hop or, you know, I mean, that's, 
obviously mainstream and stuff, but punk rock, which was so sort of small and it was so, you know, when I was young, I would go to Flip and to um, all those crazy stores on 8th Street, Unique. Well, Unique. Canal Jeans. Canal Jeans. But, you know, you had to sort of look for that stuff. Right. And, you know, it wasn't, I don't even know when Trash and Bloodville opened, but it didn't exist when I was, you know, right in my punk phase. And I was just making it myself. That's amazing. I mean, that's, isn't that, that's the spirit of punk rock, right? Yeah. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. DIY. But it's it's funny now how that's sort of just um, it's just a fashion. Yeah, I know. And sort of the, all the political sensibilities of it are gone. Just completely disappeared, I know. Well, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your opinions and words of wisdom. Oh, I really wow. enjoyed it. And wow. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Everyone check out Jeanette and Say Adams' new book called Mashup, coming to a bookstore near you. It is on the internet as well as bad information. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Find her at Jeanette Photo on Instagram and JeanetteBeckman.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Damn, Jeanette Beckman really put it down. She put it down for the women. She really helped form the visuals of London in the 70s, of New York in the 80s and 90s. And now she's transforming her early work in New York into a new book, put a new spin on it with a new generation of artists, and it makes it new and fresh. And I'm really excited to be part of that project as well. Kudos, Miss Beckman. Don't forget, everyone, check us out. We're launching Claw Mini in New York City at our boutique on Delancey and Ludlow and worldwide online at clawmini.com. Check me out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Claw Money. Thank you to my producer, Jose Alfaro, my co-producer, Emma Fox, our incredible music track by Bubbles New York City. And thank you for listening. See you soon. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.